0: You're listening to... Oh! Hot Luck!
1: Hey, welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian-American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And on this episode, we'll be discussing our April 2023 book club pick, Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto, um, a murder mystery featuring a fiery auntie, which appears to be Jesse Q. Sutanto's um, favorite character to write. It's also May, so we were Happy Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, um, the one month where we exist in the eyes of corporate America.
0: I feel like corporate America got on it a little bit quicker this this time around. I feel <laughs> like I feel like I started to see more pitches uh, back in like early April. So good on them, I guess.
1: That being said, on the first day of APAM, I did get like literally three pitches for books by white authors.
0: I mean. <laughs> It is what it is.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, we are here to discuss our April book club pick. We are coming in a little bit late this month uh, for many reasons. Chief among which is I had my delayed wedding reception this past Saturday, which we was also a part of. And so I um, was kind of busy last week. <laughs> so I um, appreciate yeah, your patience. Yeah, and
0: <laughs> that was on the same day as Y'all West. And the week before that was... Um, los angeles uh los angeles times uh festival of books which you went to um, i did not because i went on a spontaneous trip to vegas for my birthday it like literally came up with the idea maybe like two days before we left and we weren't sure if we were gonna go like until the day we left so when marvin was like hey are you free <laughs> it's like are you free to record i'm like no i'm not gonna be here
1: That's that sounds like a classic Vegas trip story, though. But um, yeah, Um, thanks. This was only
0: my second time going to Vegas. So I don't really have much of a, you know, (laughs) uh, like as people may know who who follow us on on social media, they probably saw me with like my giant sword of like sword full of margarita. And like since this was my second time going, I was like, I actually didn't really drink that much the first time I went I've never had like a fat Tuesday or any of the like novelty drinks. So I was like, so when I saw people walking uh, past me with these giant swords filled with uh, margaritas, I was like, that looks so stupid. I need to get it. So,
1: yeah. Well, so,
0: yeah, fun, fun last half of April, which, you know, kind of pushed us back um, And also we were launching our Patreon and we also had other episodes to do. So scheduling wise, it it has taken a while for us to get here.
1: Yeah, you're probably getting this episode immediately following our Victoria Ying um, author chat episode. We have a ton of stuff in the bank and a ton of stuff to still record. So yeah, Books and Boba, where the pipeline is full And, um, like we were mentioned, we also did launch our Patreon and thanks to everyone who's, um, supported us so far, I think right now we actually have enough to cover at least our monthly hosting costs. So, um, you know, slowly building that, that following, but you know, if you want to hear more from us, including our new special podcast, Boba chats, um, join us on Patreon where you can also join our new discord server where you can talk to me and Rira whenever you want. Um, but yeah. Again, thank you for your patience and waiting for this discussion. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this book because, man, it it caused a lot of feelings. I don't know about you, but I was physically feeling auntie anxiety while reading this book. So I'm very excited to get into it.
0: All right. So um, we're going to start off with the book jacket description and then we'll get into it. Put the kettle on. There's a mystery brewing. Tea shop owner matchmaker detective 60 year old self-proclaimed tea expert vera wong enjoys nothing more than sipping a good cup of wulong and doing some healthy detective work on the internet aka checking up on her son to see if he's dating anybody yet but when Vera wakes up one morning to find a dead man in the middle of her tea shop, it's going to take more than a strong long jing to fix things. Knowing she'll do a better job than the police possibly could, because nobody sniffs out a wrongdoing quite like a suspicious Chinese mother with time on her hands, Vera decides it's down to her to catch the killer.
1: Yeah. So before we get started, um, this is your first and final spoiler warning. Um, as always, we discuss the entire story and plot of our monthly book club pick, um, which means this being a murder mystery, we will be spoiling who the killer is. So if you have not finished the book yet and still plan to finish the book first and then come back and listen to the rest of our discussion. Um, but with that said, um <laughs> Oh, 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 also um I would like to give out a content warning. Um,
0: there is a character who is emotionally abusive and manipulative as a uh, as a partner. So just proceed with caution while you are uh, listening to this episode.
1: Yeah. All right. So with that said, let's get into it. Um, what do you think of this book, Rira?
0: Okay, so... Obviously, I thought this was gonna be a cozy mystery, right? Because there's a murder and you have like this uh sixty year old woman who is like nosy. I was like, okay, Miss Marples, but uh, <laughs> with like an Asian with an Asian auntie as like the the heroine. but it was actually more of like a found family contemporary comedy drama. So um, I was pretty surprised at the lack of like, poirot murder vibes (laughs) but i did really like the uh the slice of life aspect and like the found family aspect of the story um i was surprised that the book had um, multiple povs i thought i thought this book was going to be written in like one pov from vera's perspective but um i'm glad that it didn't because it gave me like better insight on like how other people view vera so that that was like my first uh i guess like i I guess that's like my first reaction my initial reaction
1: to the book i did not expect five whole pov characters in this book it was like i was every chapter when there was a new pov character i was like oh there's another one this this book has like the pov depth of like a a epic fantasy like novel right
0: I don't know if it's like epic fantasy novel scale, but it is quite big
1: <laughs> yeah I really like that um like throughout especially the the middle of the book, sometimes you do forget that it is a murder mystery, um although Vera always goes back to you know her her crime notebook where she's trying to suss out all all the suspects um I do want to talk about like. Vera as a character herself, because like we mentioned before, Jesse Q Sotanto is really good at writing auntie characters that like, at least for me, creates like a visceral physical reaction. Like all the chapters that feature Vera's point of view, where you get into the mind of an auntie who is headstrong, doesn't take any criticism and like is so sure of her own like superiority and correctness. Um, just brought me back to... Maybe it's because I've been dealing with family all weekend because of my wedding reception.
0: Oh, yeah. It's 100% (laughs) because of that. Because you literally were surrounded by aunties and family all weekend. And, you know, them bringing on the classic, like, oh, my God, now that you're finally married, like, when are you going to have a kid? And bringing up all, all the... Classics, you know, when it comes to auntie talk.
1: Yeah, I mean, reading this book got me; it brought those feelings that were already on the surface, like two to four for an. I, I literally had like physical cringe reactions while reading this book.
0: Uh, so I actually read this book half um, half through audiobook, and um, I was listening to it in my car with my partner Dan, and I had to explain the concept of aunties to him. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was very funny because he was like, wait, so like when you guys call like older people auntie, it, it, they're not related to you. So like, why is that like a title that you use? And then we talk, and then it like morphed into this conversation of how come like in American uh, language, we don't really have like a title for older people other than like grandpa and grandma. And they're not really like flattering, <laughs> flattering yeah. terms of titles.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's... <sighs> Did you come up with an explanation? Because all I can think of is it's just culture. Like we're taught to respect elders and elders take advantage of that.
0: I didn't really say like elders take advantage of that, oh, but um, do, I mean, every everyone takes advantage of each other. Um, <laughs> I mean, old people here in America and as as well as old people elsewhere. So I felt like that was like a very like obvious thing that I didn't have to explain, but I was just like, Oh, like, You know, auntie is just a term that you use uh, to familiarize yourself, to endear yourself uh, to someone older, Uh, usually when you need something from them (laughs) (laughs) or or they're trying to like uh, have conversation with you. I don't know. It's like it's weird because I I feel like Korean aunties are very different from like Chinese aunties. (laughs)
1: I mean, I'm not sure. Um, It feels like it's kind of similar. I mean, um, I feel like, at least for me, growing up, aunties and uncles have been the term of endearment, general term of endearment for any elder, specifically like friends of family um, who who are part of our community, right? Like, these are the people that um, our parents hang out with, that we see on a regular basis, especially for immigrants. Having that community and having that, like, kind of semi-familial relationship is important.
0: Yeah, it's very much like a found family situation, like you said.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, having that semi-familial relationship also, I guess, essentially gives, you know, aunties and uncles, uh, these aunties and uncles the right to criticize and praise and treat you as if you were family and we kind of see that through the character of Vera you know she kind essentially takes in these this this band of I guess misfits slash suspects and aunties them and I And, you know, we see this, per- and, you know, we see this Middlesome personality um, from the very beginning, you know, the f- entire first chapter. We see her, you know, waking up, criticizing her son for, like, not being filial, talking with her one customer and, like, praising him for his, raising his sons well. It was just a lot of really familiar beats, actually.
0: Yeah, I, I saw I saw a couple of, like, similarities with, you know, like, Korean ajumas who, you know, they they do, like, usually they brag about their own kids but if there isn't anything to brag about then they're like oh my goodness your son or daughter are like so filial and so <laughs> successful but the whole like mindset of like a middle-aged um, older asian woman just being like this is what i want this is how i'm going to get it i'm going to strong arm my opinion over others and it doesn't matter uh, I, th- I feel like that is like a very like asian cultural thing <laughs> Um, I actually joked with Dan in in the car. I was like, oh, I actually do want to be like an older auntie because by that point I can do whatever I want and no one will stop me. (laughs) Like I have earned that right in seniority of just like, you listen to me, youngsters. (laughs) Like I've spent my entire life being subservient to, like, the patriarchy or whatever, or, you know, the bare minimum of it. So, you listen to me, youngsters. I'm, like, I, I'm, like, a badass auntie now, but I'm and not there yet. And there's something
1: about, like, an auntie who only hears and sees and accepts what she wants to hear, see, and accept in the face of logic or laws Um, That is very, like, I have family members who are just like that. Um, And, you know, something that, and I, I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I do like that in this story, we do see that it's, it is a front. You know, you kind of get the sense of that to begin with, which is like this headstrong auntie persona is something that Vera puts on because her life isn't really going the way that she wants or she wanted to and the way that she expected as an older Chinese woman. And, you know, I complained a little bit when we talked to um, Jessica Santo on her author chat about how, like, in her first book, Dial A for Aunties, there's no real auntie catharsis moment. Um, but she did give that to us here, which I was very happy about. This. And, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but I guess we should move on to... The central driving plot of the story, which is the murder. Which, um, actually, before we get there, I did want to point out a joke that I really enjoyed in the first chapter, which is the reveal of Vera Wong's tea shop, which is Vera Wang's world famous tea house. And I can't remember how many people I introduced to this book who thought that this was a book about Vera Wang, the dressmaker. Um, and the fact that that joke made it into the book itself is, I think I thought it was pretty, I thought it was a pretty funny self-aware moment and a prime example of like auntie grift right like the auntie logic that leads to naming a shop after a more famous person um for the for the name recognition
0: yeah i i I wouldn't say it's just like an auntie grift i think that's just like an asian grift i feel like (laughs) I, i i feel like any any immigrant uh who wants to you know like get a business started like they'll they'll find any grift they'll find any way to capitalize on on getting as much publicity as possible, but yeah, uh, and I I did well, think it was very funny the, yeah. the joke with, with Vera way. <laughs>
1: and I totally, at that point, the entire first like chapter or two with Vera, I was very much um, identifying with a character that doesn't even appear that much, which is her son Tilly, which is like, Mom, you gotta stop doing this, Mom, you gotta like stop in the work. That's fraud. You can't you can't take the name of someone else and pass it off as your own and um, i feel like
0: it is a great introduction to people who are unfamiliar with asian aunties (laughs) and like its various uh like branches (laughs) because like 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 for dan like he didn't uh he wasn't here when i first read the first chapter so I feel like that would have given, given him like a clearer idea on like what an auntie is <laughs> and like what their mindset is. Like just the fact that she's like, I wake up at 4.30 every morning. I should have been born a rooster, but I was born in the year of the pig. And then I go on my uh, like three mile walk. I always, have, I always walk bris- briskly, always put sunscreen on, always put a visor on. And I'm just like, yep, that's uh, <laughs> that's, that's an
1: auntie. All right.
0: Literally, first chapter, a definition of an auntie. <laughs> let's go. You know who, like, you can picture her so well. And that's just, like, the beauty and comedy of it all.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, Vera Wang wakes up one morning and finds a dead body in her tea house clutching a USB drive. And she kind of, she does, like, a classic auntie or older Asian person thing, which is, you know what? I've watched CSI. I've watched Law and Order. I know what to do. (laughs) And proceeds to, like, prep the crime scene for the cops slash maybe take a piece of evidence.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is, like, really funny compared to another cozy mystery book that we've read uh, for this podcast. Um, uh, Mia P. Manzala's Arsenic and Adobo. Um, (laughs) I guess, like, it wasn't for Book Club. It was for an author interview. But uh, the aunties in that book, they're like oh, the the restaurant is, like, a mess. We need to, like, start cleaning up. And uh, the main character is like, no, no. Like, this is a crime scene. You can't just move things around and clean up. Whereas uh, Vera in this book is, is like, I've watched CSI. I know that I'm not supposed to tamper with the crime scene. But she still tampers with it anyway. <laughs> I thought her idea of, like, sharpening the body outline was just, like, so funny to me. I was just like, wow, it must have been, like, way more exact than, like, a tape outline.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and also proceeds to auntie the cops who come to investigate um, by trying to get them to drink the tea that will help them think clearer. I did appreciate all the tea education in this book because I don't think, I don't know if people reading this off the shelf knows that there is such a wide breadth of teas, especially um, in Chinese culture.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is not your boba shop. It's an actual <laughs> tea shop where, you know, you have like a, quote unquote exotic ingredients, rare ingredients, I guess that's a kinder way to, to say it. Um, yeah. And you're supposed to actually take time to enjoy your cup of tea and not just down it like a shot of whiskey. So... <laughs> uh, I feel like those types of tea shops, like I felt like I saw them more um, a couple of years ago. But like because of gentrification, those businesses have definitely uh, just kind of disappeared, especially during the pandemic, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, these tea shops slash, like, I guess, apothecaries, it takes a specific type of customer to go and know what they're doing. But at the same time, like it is a type of business that I feel like is primed for like hipster clientele, right? Because literally it's like each tea that's served there is tailored to the customer, right? Like Vera is actually very good at like, actually, I don't know if she's very good at it. She's good at like diagnosing her clients um, based on her own auntie intuition slash like imposing her views on other people. But she does make comforting teas and her teas do provide like What her customers need at that exact moment, and so it's it's kind of cool to see that you know she is actually very good at what she does, but that she can't help but have that like auntie superiority about it. And I did love reading her frustration that the cops aren't bringing in the CSI team, and things aren't exactly like the TV, and how because. They're not moving the way that she wants them to. Obviously, they're incompetent.
0: Well, like from the get-go, she's like, this is a murder. <laughs> and, you know, she like goes ahead and sharpies the body outline. And, you know, she finds a USB drive and she's like, oh, what is this? Like, going to take it. Like, what kind of guy like just carries drugs around? And um, And like those are the evidence that. That the police would have taken and been like, okay, yeah, this is is definitely hinting at foul play. But because she took those evidences (laughs) and tampered with it, uh, they didn't take her seriously. And then she's just like, why aren't they taking me seriously? Like, don't they know that this is a murder? And I'm like, this is some reverse logic that's happening. It's definitely
1: like some like auntie logic, which is you caused a problem yourself and now you're blaming other people. But you caused this problem. I have literally had this argument with yeah and when like (laughs) her
0: son finds out later she's like he's like you you didn't take the flash drive did you like what uh, actually no like that backing up like the way she calls her son and was just like hey i have this flash drive that i hypothetically took from a dead body how would i hypothetically unlock it (laughs) and her son's just like don't put it in anything like it has probably have spyware it's probably illegal like what like what do you mean there was a dead body in your tea shop (laughs) and i was like wow even though i've never experienced um my family like dealing with a dead body there's definitely been like that situation was very familiar
1: (laughs) and the fact that she's like of course i didn't plug in my computer do you think i'm stupid like uh again a physical visceral reaction to that like in exchange because again If you've ever dealt with like helping parents with IT stuff over the phone, you've felt this like you've had this type of exchange, right?
0: I don't want to say it's just an Asian thing, but it but like the IT thing mixed in with Asian like... Pride culture asian like. boomer pride culture it is just like a cocktail that is it's very strong and you right. don't want to like drink it every single time
1: because vera's <laughs> most strongest trait is never admitting she's wrong right? she refuses to admit she's ever wrong or her instincts are bad and um for the most part it works for her right you know her instincts is that this is a murder and the police suck, so I must solve this.
0: Yeah, but the police gets there, and they're like, uh, "This is not a murder. It looks like it—it's it, a heart attack or some kind of like you know accidental death." And she's just like, "How can you? How can you think that when you know she already took the evidence away for <laughs> for the police to actually think that this could possibly be foul play?" Um, and I just thought it was like, I think Vera can be summarized as good intentions bad execution good instincts (laughs) but uh bad method (laughs) so
1: yeah yeah i mean good intentions bad execution is kind of like the most classic asian american trope right that's like every parent-child relationship in um a lot of asian american literature and media right
0: Yeah, yeah yeah um But she does a smart thing of like, oh, okay. well, if this is a murder and it obviously is, the killer will come back to the scene of the crime. So all I have to do is wait for people to show
1: up. (laughs) But she kind of forces the issue because she puts out an obituary for the deceased person who is identified as Marshall Chen um, and draws the attention of four people who were connected to him prior to his death. And so these four people become her suspects. And they're um, they're Ricky, Sana, Oliver, and Julia. So Ricky is a coder from Indonesia who was taken advantage by Marshall on a project that they worked together on. Um, Sana is an artist currently experiencing a creative block because of something Marshall did. Uh, Julia is Marshall's beleaguered wife and mother to his child who he had just left that morning. Um, and Oliver is Marshall's identical twin brother who has lived his entire life in Marshall's shadow. And so these four characters become Vera's uh, main suspects for the murder and also become our point of view characters for the rest of the book. So um, I guess, what did you think about uh, the suspects?
0: I thought it was great that, you know, we got other Asian ethnicities in there. And um, I did like how how like Ricky and Sana they pretend to be like crime reporters like Ricky pretends that he works for BuzzFeed and uh Sana's like oh I have a true crime podcast <laughs> and it's like very obvious to Vera it's just like they are really bad at lying I don't know what they're lying about but they are very bad at lying and um I thought that was like pretty funny uh on how like they went about asking their questions while like lying very poorly about like why they're asking these questions. And I really liked Julia's POV because I felt like her voice was probably like the strongest to me cuz like in the beginning she sounds so insecure. Like everything like she sounds so skittish. Everything sets her off and um, because you know that she is Marshall's widow, you immediately know that like she like this was not a healthy relationship. And um, as you get like the other POVs from the other suspects, uh you piece together how shitty Marshall is <laughs> is as a human being. Um so I thought like Jesse Q Santanto did like a very good job in uh, getting into the mindset of like a victim of emotional abuse and long-term emotional abuse at that Um, and how that affects not just you as a person and your career and your relationship with other people, but also like how you value yourself. So I thought that Julia probably had like the strongest voice out of the other characters. Uh, My second favorite is probably Sana because she has an interesting relationship with her mother because her mother is, like, this um, big-shot author who, like, publishes four books a year, who has, like, an HBO uh, show under her belt, and she's very much proud of of being like, well, I'm not like those other Asian mom. I'm a cool Asian mom who lets my kid do art and believe that they can do whatever they want. Um, and, you know, she's like... And she believes like, oh, writer's block, creative block, that doesn't exist. You just, it's like will over, it's just mind power. Just, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that is a different level of. um,
1: Yeah, I did enjoy the fact that even if like not being a typical Asian parent doesn't mean you don't have typical Asian parent. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: She's like, I'm not a typical Asian mom. I'm like, I don't know. You still have that subtle Asian momness <laughs> of not listening to what your child is saying in terms of, like, this is hard for me, and then brushing it up, brushing it off, like, and saying, like, oh, well, like, when I was your age, like, <laughs> I was able to do all this when I was homeless or I had, like, $5 in my pocket. Why can't you do this? And I'm like, wow, this is such, like, an immigrant. Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, Vera yeah. <laughs> we also... Several times says, Oh, young people are so dramatic, which you're also very dramatic, Vera. You're also very.
0: I do love how she tells, um, like, when she, like, brings all of the suspects over for dinner, we're not dinner, breakfast, like, she's just like, Okay, like, Ricky, meet Sana, like, and uh, we're now going to go over to Julia's house. Oh, you guys are my suspects, but don't take it personally because. Like, there's, it's like, don't take it personally, but also, I made you my suspects because I'm judgmental. And I was like, okay, (laughs) reverse logic. It doesn't make sense, but it makes sense.
1: Yeah, it was really amusing to see, like, just how quickly she has everyone wrapped around her finger. And I mean, I think it makes sense because all four of these characters are missing something or had life like beat them down and are missing the type of like strong arm encouragement that an Asian parent or Asian auntie can provide. Um, and I mean, the, the source of their issues all lead back to Marshall. Um, he was like, I found it amusing that Marshall as a character had no redeeming qualities. Like every thing about him was just bad and there's just no sympathy for him right in any of his interactions um you know he exploited ricky um and made him create a scalping bot for him uh, for his nft um grift he stole sana's artwork for those nfts and he like emotionally abused and gaslit his wife um uh, and probably his daughter as well and you know oliver had to live his entire life with him and be like this is kind of like a very asian drama storyline where like there was a twin brother slash sibling who was blamed for all the family's problems um and oliver was that person in his family like his his dad blamed him for um his mother's death and his brother took advantage of that and to become the golden boy
0: yeah like all of the characters uh definitely have their issues with confidence and it's you know it's very clear to see that oliver like his confidence, his lack of confidence stems from like him thinking that he is not as charismatic, not as lovable as Marshall is, because Marshall is considered like the golden boy to his father. Um, and because Oliver was the favorite son of his mother, um, the dad and his twin are just like, it's your fault. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, can see. I mean,
1: Oliver himself feels like it is his own fault too, which is why he accepts everything. Yeah. And it was really cool to see um as the book went along how even though Vera was actively investigating all four of these people as her murder suspects, um, she also was helping them all come out of their show, right? Like through her through her auntie meddling, um, helping them with their confidence, helping Sana Dragan, helping Oliver be more confident in himself, helping Julia around the house as she got back on her feet. Um, I thought that was really cool to see.
0: Yeah, and I loved how she... uh Went about taking care of Julia, um, who, you know, she has a two-year-old daughter, Emma, who is, like, very attached to her, obviously, because um, her father wasn't very present. And there's a lot of, like, negative energy, negative skittish energy uh, with the two. And Vera just comes in, like, a frickin' storm and is like, hey, I'm gonna take care of your kid. I'm gonna, like, make sure that she eats all this good food while you have time to, like, go job hunting for photography. Um, Like, for the longest time, Julia's just like, oh, my God, like, I don't have, like, my husband is dead. Like, he's been covering all of our, like, finances. Like, how am I going to pay for mortgage? And Vera is just like, well, there's nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home mom, but it sounds like that wasn't what you wanted this entire time. So... What's stopping you from going back into work? You're talented at photography. Why can't you just, like, why don't you just start small? And it's like, I thought it was such a, um, I I guess it's like a tough love moment in a way. (laughs) Because it's like you're kind of being shoved off of a tree branch. But um, sometimes it works. (laughs) Sometimes that method of just like, just just do it.
1: I mean, also just having the support of someone as strong as Vera, right? Because all four of our characters they're all isolated in some way, right? Like honestly, all five of our characters are isolated in some yeah. way, right? They they all like, <laughs> like it turns out um the Antsyweni were was each other all along, right? Like Vera essentially became the support systems that they were missing um in their in their actual lives.
0: Vera as pushy as judgmental as she is, she does listen. Like, even though she pushes her own opinions onto others, I feel like she does give them space to express themselves. And that is, like, the difference between Sana's mother and and Vera. They're able to uh, kind of understand, like, like, okay, (laughs) I don't relate to the problem that you're having, but it's clearly bothering you. So let's figure out a way where you can dispel all of this, like, negative energy in, right. inside you.
1: Yeah, and I guess in some way, they're offering her the opportunity to auntie someone because her own son doesn't seem to need her, right? And maybe it's because she did her job too well, right? He is a lawyer at a firm, and he doesn't seem to be in the place where he's missing that support because I feel like he's always had it, right? And you know, throughout the book, yeah. he starts getting concerned because his mother stops texting him and, like... That's what drives them to, like, check in on her, right? Um, But, you know, the four four suspects, quote-unquote, they all need that support, and Vera provides that. And throughout the book, we also start to get the inkling that Vera needs them, too, right? Vera needs, like, purpose, because underneath that auntie bluster, she is a widowed empty nester with, like, a failing business, but refuses to admit, like, that decline.
0: Yeah, and also, like, Vera just has, like, a very compassionate heart. Like, even before she meets the other suspects, like, with Alex Chen, who, her sole customer who comes to the shop, like, she, um, you know, takes the time to brew, like, the tea that he needs um, in order to, like, Because she believes that he's taking care of his uh, ailing wife who has Alzheimer's. And she's like, okay, this is the only time when he has, like, a moment to just take care of himself. So um, I feel like she is, like, very loving, very giving. And um, like you said, (laughs) her son, Tilly, you know, he had that his entire life. So when she kind of disappears for a while because she's taking care of other people, he realizes... How lucky he is or how lucky he was to have had that support system his entire life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think hidden in this heartwarming, funny murder mystery is like also that message that you should check in on your parents sometimes. They may annoy you, but they're still and, you know, maybe this doesn't apply to all parents, but for the most part, I think they're, they are on your side and they are rooting for you. And more often than not, they do have the best intentions. They just might not be good at expressing it or expressing it in a way that, you know, doesn't annoy you.
0: Yeah. And I just love, you know, we keep mentioning found family, but just, I feel like everyone, especially nowadays, is just so alone. We're so isolated, <laughs> not even in terms of just like working remotely, but I feel like, it's so hard to make meaningful relationships nowadays and it's just so hard to like if you're a parent you're the responsibility of just like doing everything yourself is just like lumped into it's just like dumped onto your shoulder and uh, reading this it just like really made me think wow like if we had veras in our lives if we had like more more strangers more neighbors who are like kind enough to just you know um help shoulder the loneliness like how much better off would we all be and um
1: yeah yeah. at the same time if we did have a viewer in our lives i feel like we like tilly would also not be able to recognize it because we'd be so annoyed um, by all the constant auntie attention. You know, I feel like
0: I could have used, uh, like, I could use a Vera <laughs> right now um, because I definitely feel like Sana, uh, who is going through like an artist block. I'm like, I feel like I've been on an artist block for the last like ten years. I would really love to have <laughs> a Vera, just like, uh, just like kick me into gear and be like, it's okay to make mistakes. Mistakes is like all part of the learning process just <laughs> you know like and like provide me with like delicious food so i don't ever have to worry about like starving you heard that and Love
1: listeners rira has given you permission to auntie her online
0: but the problem is <laughs> i too have a very like auntie like spirit i <laughs> i don't like being told what to do so it's it's very much like i need to find someone who is more yeah aggressive than than me and um not have myself want to kill them in the process that's (laughs) it's always going to be very hard
1: i did enjoy now that you mentioned it the food scenes the way that jesse wrote the food scenes was very very like i can i can taste it in my mouth and the fact that yeah like Chinese food takes, like, to do it well, it takes a long time to make and to have an auntie, like, to wake up at 4 a.m. and cook for four hours and create a feast for you all the time. Um, it was it was very um, relatable that all four of our characters are people who are isolated and have their guard up, but their guard instantly melts, collapses, falls apart in the face of auntie food.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's just a... A comforting aspect to (laughs) home-cooked food especially home-cooked food that you know took a really long time for them to make yeah um i feel like with like it's it's the same with like my family i feel like my mom doesn't really cook as much as she used to when i used to live at home um But like when I do go down, she's just like, oh, now it's an opportunity to just like (laughs) spend uh, extra hours like making something that I normally don't make because that is the way I express love. So I don't know. There's something very like comforting about knowing that someone took time and energy to make food that's actually like very healing to you. So I don't know. Like I feel like everyone can use a Vera in their life. no matter how uh, annoying their nagging can be from time to time.
1: Yeah. I did appreciate that Jesse gave Marshall zero redeeming qualities. I'm glad that we were able to just hate him without reservation.
0: I mean, yeah, Vera was saying like, oh, like just because you're a killer doesn't mean that you're a bad person. And I'm like, you're absolutely freaking right. Some people <laughs> do deserve to be killed and some people do uh, kill for... um you know, like some killers are actually good people, but you know, again, like good intentions, bad execution, or
1: yeah,
0: or something like that. I just thought that was like really funny. Um, her yeah. being like, Marshall was a bad person, like, he's the type of person who would do drugs and would, <laughs> would like, uh, have would be abusive to his like family. And I'm like, wow, like, you. You you don't even know this guy, Vera. Like he showed up dead in your in your tea shop, and you're having all of these uh, all, all of these judgment calls. But she's absolutely right in that regard. <laughs> Marshall was a trash human being. Yeah,
1: and you know every character. I did like how they were all their stories were all intertwined, right? Like um, Ricky and Sana were both connected to uh, Marshall's NFT grift, and Oliver and julia were connected through like their past right like oliver and what did you think about that like it was not exactly a love triangle but like that like kind of romantic childhood crush entwinement between oliver marshall and julia
0: i don't know if i was really behind the love triangle part although it did like make a good conflict towards the end of the book where julia was like this is a little bit creepy that he's been writing a manuscript about me and like (laughs) like having, like, an obsessive crush over me over over all these years. Um, But I did, like, I did like that relationship between uh, Julia and Oliver. Oliver being, like, I, you know, he sent presents to his only niece. He really wanted to, like, get to know her. And, like, that relationship not being... um, like, he wasn't able to nurture that relationship because of his twin brother, like,
1: yeah. isolating. And I kind of wish that they explored that aspect a little more. I think yeah, I feel me like too. that was kind of missing from that conflict because obviously Julia was angry that Oliver seemed to be harboring this, like, long-standing grudge. But they never talked about how Marshall was the reason why they had no contact with each other, right?
0: Yeah, I wish that was more of, like, the... uh conflict that was shown on page um and also just like i wish i had gotten more like oliver and emma scenes because you know it's like you know emma is kind of emma is traumatized because her dad was not you know not very present and here's a guy who looks almost exactly like him so i think it would have been a good relationship to develop even more in the book but um, yeah and it
1: seemed like they were kind of like kindred spirits right? they're both more the introverted type like the type that needs like a quiet corner and the few scenes that we did get between oliver and emma were pretty sweet
0: yeah the tent was really sweet i was like (laughs) oh yes like like an adult who understands a shy child's (laughs) uh, shy anxious child's problems and yeah yeah like it just reminded me of um you know now that i'm also quote-unquote, an auntie. Like, I have nephews and nieces now. So it's just like, yeah, it's a very special relationship. And, um, you know, as someone who, you know, have their own childhood traumas, you don't want the next generation to go through the same thing. So you try your best to um, kind of foster confidence and, um, and love and support that you didn't have when you were growing up. So I just... Yeah, I felt like that was a little bit missing from from the book. Um, Yeah, but yeah, like the manuscript, I was like, oh god, I know, I actually know exactly how that feels because I, (laughs) there was someone back in college who did write me in into one of their assignments, and it was so it was so creepy and cringe, and I'm like, yeah, imagine going through an abusive marriage and then having to read. Something like that. That At the same
1: time, no one was ever meant to read that manuscript.
0: Yeah, no one was meant (laughs) to read that. It was fiction. It was, you know, it was not meant to see the light of day. It was clearly like a therapy project.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Vera kind of... Made that conflict happen, and I think that's I love kind how of, she just
0: took his manuscript. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. wow, like like auntie behavior of just like you know, no like she's no doing, idea in terms of privacy.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's doing such a great job, kind of healing their wounds, but also creating other conflict. And like we mentioned originally, with the taking of the USB drive, like she kind of creates her own problems, right? And then doesn't take responsibility for it, and it, it all comes to a head at the. You know, in, in any other murder mystery would be considered, I guess, the parlor room scene, right? Where all the suspects are gathered in one place and the detective cracks the case wide open, except in this book. Because Vera is not exactly the best detective, it all falls apart, right? And this is actually, this chapter was really... It was sad it was sad to see like all these friendships that found family like break apart because like all the lies that they've been holding on to come out in the open right instead of like solving the case ever kind of just falls apart
0: yeah like funny thing that you mentioned the parlor uh scene because I feel like the parlor scene happens like four times throughout the book. <laughs> She tries to make it happen, and I'm like, You you haven't solved the case yet, so <laughs> it's a little bit strange that like all of your suspects are in the same room. Um, and it, it is funny like the second to last parlor scene, like she thinks this is it, I've solved the murder, but she didn't, and everybody just leaves, and things are just kind of left, uh, just yeah. destroyed
1: pretty much. I mean, she and Didn't she say something like, you know, I don't know who the killer is yet, but in this climactic scene, I will know by their faces.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I am a Chinese mother. I can sniff out guilt. I like, I will just do this by instinct. Um, But it is like... Like, one thing that was, like, really funny to me was just, like, because she's, like, oh, like, Sherlock Holmes, I have to, like, make it, like, dramatic. I'm, like, I don't remember Sherlock Holmes having parlor, like, scenes. It's usually Poirot. Yeah, she's getting her and detectives like,
1: mixed up, for sure. I was,
0: like, and, you know, Miss Mar I'm like, I'm surprised that Miss Marple's not up there. But, you know, it's, like, a Chinese grandma, obviously, like, their references for uh, world-class detectives are, <laughs> are not <laughs> as, uh... Wide as ours in, in terms of knowledge, but uh, yeah,
1: it's like a it's a raccoonie yeah. thing. It's just it, they all get Rack-a-cuni. amalgamated into <laughs> one detective, right? It's
0: like, ah, oh, yeah, Sherlock Holmes, the the detective with the mustache, and like, it's Sometimes just like wrong. Uh, uh,
1: but I think, but this but is but she also destroyed
0: when we, her shop. Yeah, she this is when we find her out shop. That, like,
1: she spent the entire book say how young people are so dramatic. When she like, when she likes destroyed her like she create like she, when she like literally um like staged a robbery in order to like stay at. Um, Julie and Emma's place, like that—that that is the, probably the most dramatic thing we saw in this entire. That book. is the
0: most <laughs> manipulative thing that, like, she has done in in this book. Yeah. But like, her reasoning is like, "Oh, but somebody did come into my shop and did like go through my stuff, but because it's not obvious enough that like there was someone in my shop in the middle of the night, uh, I'm going to make a bigger mess so that it looks like I was in danger." And um
1: I would have been mad too. Like, and, and like just, just the fact me? that like
0: like she's like, oh no, like don't report it to the police. Like they're really bad at their jobs, like they're gonna ask if anything was stolen and nothing was stolen. So what's the point? And I'm like, I do agree with you there, because <laughs> like they're not gonna do anything, even if you do report it. But the fact that she was the one who destroyed her own shop. And told them not to report it. I was like, "Oh God, like, yeah, what a what a mess." And then like o- the officer finding out like later on, <laughs> just just like what has been happening behind his back, that uh, what what has been happening behind her back was just so funny to me. Being like, "Hmm, she she's telling people that."
1: Uh, yeah, that poor officer. I mean, she's doing her best. I mean, officer best. I feel Gray like, she, I feel like she's actually. Doing a pretty decent job of trying to investigate and following up and doing things by the book. It's just that that book is not a book that Vera Wong has read.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
1: the whole the blow up at the dinner party leads us to, I guess the the depression arc. I guess in the in the last like uh, in the last few chapters where the facade, the auntie facade of Verowong, like falls apart. And she has to admit to herself that maybe she was wrong. I did feel bad. I mean, I self-admittedly, I was waiting for this moment of like auntie catharsis because we all we all dream of the moment when the auntie admits that she's wrong, right? But it was also kind of sad to see like when it all falls apart, she's just a sad, lonely woman who just needed something to hold on to
0: yeah yeah and you know this is when she gets hospitalized and all of her found family members come together along with Tilly her actual son and yeah I just thought it was so funny how like uh, like everyone's just like you need to take care of your mother better <laughs> and you know them and like Tilly being like who the fuck are you guys <laughs> it's like what what have I missed in the last like month of of stuff happening
1: yeah well I mean, she did spend the entire book complaining about how her son never calls her and and stuff so all all of her found family does probably doesn't have the best impression of tilly no um, but i think it, it was pretty heartwarming to see like her found family rally around her right like, they're still concerned about her like she still is someone who did provide them with a lot of comfort and healing and that's how family is right you get mad at each other but like after a few days you cool down and then you're like okay it is what it is we just have to accept it and the fact that they all came back and rallied around her it's cheesy but it's also i think it's it's couching reality right
0: yeah yeah and also like you know with sana and ricky for example like they're now a couple and sana finds out that ricky was partially responsible for um you know, her art and other people's arts being stolen uh, as NFTs. And it's like, yeah, like, you did this terrible thing, but does that make you a terrible person or just a person who made a terrible choice? And is this thing just, like, do we, like, am I going to make this a deal breaker or are we going to move on from it or grow from it? And I feel like that last... Quarter of the book, like everybody is, you know, everybody is like learning that they are not perfect. Like Vera is not perfect. They themselves are not perfect, and that people should have grace for each other, and you know, forgiveness is a choice. And I thought that was like a pretty good, like, message towards yeah. the the last half. So I think you did get the catharsis that you you <laughs> wanted in Dial A for Aunties in this book.
1: Yeah, and thinking about it now, Marshall as, like, the shithead in the middle of everyone's problems was also kind of a stand-in for many, like, cultural vices, right? Like, for Sana and Ricky, he kind of represented capitalism and how they exploit, you know, poor, desperate people. And with Julia, he kind of represents, like, toxic patriarchy and how they exploit and manipulate people.
0: And then with his father... um, that was like a big reveal at the end of the book. Yeah, uh, Marshall's <laughs> father, Marshall and Oliver's father, it turns out to be Alex, the uh, regular customer of Vera's uh, tea shop.
1: Yeah, what did you think about that reveal and the later reveal that Alex was actually the killer, and the fact that this happens in the second to last chapter, or like literally the last chapter before the epilogue, uh, when this when the story remembers there's still a murder mystery to be solved
0: i mean i think it's very on brand of vera wong right she's like i'm gonna solve this murder but um first thing is to like take care of julia and all these kids who have no idea what they're doing with their lives uh and she kind of gets sidetracked so obviously us as readers we get sidetracked but when uh the autopsy report said hey uh marshall you know, wasn't murdered. He died because of an allergic reaction to bird dander. Like I was just like bird dander, huh? I mean, like that sounds like a an ingredient in Chinese tea. Like, why aren't anybody looking into that? And when is this gonna when is this gonna pop up? Like, I mean, when is it gonna pop don't up? Know that it... that
1: there's bird nest tea. Like there's... <laughs> I even no, but like even Vera didn't realize Vera it was ducks. And,
0: yeah, she thought it was duck or pigeon. And I'm just like, you you run a tea shop lady with some like weird ingredients. Like I mean, surely Vera it has, would click in your brain at some point. But I mean, this Vera, is how you know that she's not a good detective.
1: Yeah, I mean, Vera <laughs> has tunnel vision. she It's not in her wheelhouse to uh, think outside the box. Um, but I actually did suspect Alex as the killer. Yeah, same on. here. Um, uh, there's the scene after the murder where... Vera visits Alex at his place and notes that he's like looking a little haggard and that's why I, I started piecing together like maybe Alex was the killer and I kind of suspected that he might have been Oliver and Marshall's dad, but they did have that red herring about his wife that I was wondering if he like remarried or something, but no they, they explained that away in the in the ending but um, yeah I mean, I felt pretty smart when he was revealed to be the killer because I was like I, I knew it.
0: Yeah, like, I I had a feeling that he was the killer because um, bird dander, nest tea, I was like, okay, that's the weapon, and who's in the tea shop other than Vera, it's him, so I kind of pieced it together, like, pretty early on, and I did suspect that he was uh, Marshall's dad, but... Like like you said, like the red herring kind of like threw me off with like the wife. And I was like, oh, is, is this a situation where he's the one with dementia or Alzheimer's? <laughs> like, is he like confusing um, himself with like these different realities? But um, I thought it was really sad when, um, you know, the group, they go to confront Alex at his apartment. And um, Alex says how he went to go see Marshall the day... Um, the day that Marshall died, and he, it was like his first time seeing his son without his uh, mask on. Like he's seeing like how awful he is to other people, and how like this good son act was always like always an act, and it and it wasn't even him who would like drop by his apartment with groceries. It was actually Oliver. Yeah, and it was it was just really tragic.
1: At the same time, though. I guess he must have been real blind not to see how big a piece of crap his son was. And at the same time, Marshall also, like, dropping his mask was such, like, a... I don't know. I guess he didn't think his dad would do anything about it, right?
0: Yeah, because he's the golden boy in in his, like, father's eyes. And the part that was, like, really sad to me was when um, Alex recounts, like, what Marshall said about Emma, his his two-year-old daughter, how, like, you know, he's like, oh, like, she's a freak. I'm gonna just, like, I'll just, like, make another baby that's normal. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, (laughs) yeah. I I can see that being, like, a catalyst for murder. Uh, And, yeah, it was just, like, it it just, like, hammered home how, like, awful of a human being he was, how he didn't see people as people, even his family.
1: Yeah, I mean... Like we said many times already, uh, Marshall was a character with zero redeeming qualities, which I'm okay with. I don't need a sympathetic backstory on why he became a total shithead. Um, Just leave him this way. It's easier for me to be okay with his murder.
0: Yeah. And also there's like that catharsis of like, oh, yeah, like Alex was a terrible father to Oliver because obviously he, you know, put all of his favoritism into one child and blamed his spouse's death on a different child. And it's like, wow, you've caused a lot of trauma. You caused a lot of your own problems. But now they're at a state where it's like, okay, like, obviously I was wrong. And, you know, there, we need to move on from this in, in some healthy way and speaking yeah. of moving on I did not expect him to go to fucking jail because I thought it was just gonna be like okay well Marshall's dead and like no one really wants Alex to go to jail so let's not report it and Oliver will get away with you know no charges because Tilly is a good lawyer you know like yeah I didn't think they would actually send Alex to prison
1: I mean Vera Wong she doesn't do anything halfway right when she solves the murder she solves the murder
0: but I feel like Vera has like that uh no she's not 100% lawful, you know? So you, I thought she would just be yeah. I thought she would just be like okay, well like no one is missing Marshall. Like he was a bad person and you know, like who's it going to hurt if if Alex goes to prison?
1: I guess in the end you and I not as good a person as Vera Wong.
0: No, I'm just no, I'm just saying that I feel like that's a little bit out of character for Vera <laughs> because, um, to be perfectly honest, I I might be more on the lawful side where I'm like you're going to fucking jail. But um, Vera, though, I f- I feel like she should have
1: yeah. just let it slide. No one needed to go to jail for the murder of Marshall Chen.
0: <laughs> no, no, yeah. It's kind of like uh, what is it um murder on the Orient Express <laughs> where where it's like the person who, who gets killed, it's like no one likes him. Everyone thinks that he's better off dead. And I would have
1: actually, that would have been interesting conclusion if everyone was in on the murder.
0: You know what? That would have been an interesting <laughs> conclusion. Huh. But I'm glad that everything worked out. Um, this was a, I mean, it, it had murder in it, but it was a feel-good book. That's what cozy mysteries are
1: you say feel good but again very versatile reactions to all the auntie auntie going on throughout the book
0: i guess i, mean, I don't know if
1: that really made me i feel, feel
0: like, i feel like that's i feel like that's more on that's a you problem yeah
1: it is a problem <laughs> for sure but on the other hand it was nice to read a story about people coming together and healing from trauma
0: having second chances in following their passions yeah. um finding someone who you know can be their support network and people you know taking care of each other it's yeah. always it's always nice to see because we see so little of it in our real world and
1: anti-catharsis finally thank you jesse Hughes tanto for providing that for me in your book i sincerely appreciate it
0: Oh, uh, there's a line in the book that I thought was really funny. Uh, it was, people always say that your wedding day is the happiest day of your life. But honestly, people should try solving murders more often. And I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was like, this is true. I find a lot of joy in going through uh, cold cases and doing Internet sleuthing because I'm a nerd.
1: So I did feel pretty smug when Alex was revealed as the murderer. I was like, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I did feel good. Um Yeah.
0: I mean, weddings and murders are like my two favorite uh, topics in books. So uh, the fact that Dal A for Aunties was like one of my favorite books (laughs) that I read like uh, like two years ago. Like it 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 makes sense. Um, But yeah, like Jesse's books, they're always there's they're always like such a joy to read. You're always in for like a good fun time, you know, even when things get bloody,
1: (laughs) especially when things get bloody. Um, before we wrap up our discussion, do we have any feedback from our, our club members?
0: Uh, yeah, so we have a comment from Julie from Goodreads, and she said, Vera was a lot at first, and it took until she started interacting with her suspects to really grow on me. This was way more of a found family story than I expected, and parts made me laugh out loud, like. The page in her notebook after the cause of death was revealed i definitely agree those notebook um chapters were really funny and she said i suspected either oliver and marshall's father or alex parentheses hiding in plain sight but i couldn't figure out his motive outside of maybe marshall crossing him and lily um I immediately went back to check that early conversation Vera and Alex had about their sons. Sneaky. I did too. I did check. Like, I went back to the uh, beginning of the book to um, to read, like, what he said about Marshall and Oliver. Yeah. And I, I like, mean, the oh. fact
1: that he used their Chinese names, I was that's when I was convinced, like, Jesse is obviously obfuscating the fact that this is Marshall and Oliver that they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Vera... Was a lot, is a lot. And I actually do hope that this becomes a series. I can see more of Vera Wong. Really? Histories. I
0: feel like it, It to me, it's a standalone book. <laughs> I don't want a sequel because one, I don't think Vera is that great of a detective. <laughs> Just because she has good like people reading skills does not mean that she's a good detective as we could see from this book, how she didn't know who the killer was during her third, fourth parlor room scene um and i just you know like i i like the ending i like how her tea house got um renovated yeah. yeah rejuvenated and she has like this new family she's living in this new house taking care of uh, a kid you know she has a purpose now i don't feel like she needs to solve murders
1: i guess it's true family was she's not the a miss we had all along and she got tilly to come and talk to her again so everyone wins all right. And on that note, I guess that'll do it for our discussion of Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers uh, by Jesse Q. Sutanto. As you may have noticed, we had a really great time reading this book and really appreciate Jesse Q. Sutanto for writing it. Um, if you have any thoughts that, about this book that you'd like to share, um, please let us know on Goodreads, or if you are a Patreon subscriber on our discord server, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback on both our podcasts and the books that we read Um, I guess moving on Rira for the month of May, what are we reading for book club?
0: Uh, so for APAM this year, we are reading the fortunes of jaded women by Carolyn Huen, And this book is about a family of estranged Vietnamese women who experiences, uh, mishaps and unexpected joy after a psychic makes a startling prediction about their lives and this family apparently has a curse because one of their predecessors um, got married for true love. And therefore, everybody else in that family have been cursed to never find love or happiness or ever have sons. So it has some magical realism to it. And it's set in Orange Orange County, Little Saigon. So this is an area that uh, Marvin and I are sort of local to. So it'll be interesting to read the setting yeah. in the book.
1: Eager to see if there's any familiar places that will appear in the book. But um, as always, if you already finished the book, uh, please let us know your thoughts on either our Goodreads forums or our new Discord, which you can access if you're a Patreon subscriber. And again, we really appreciate it if you um, would join our Patreon and help support um, Books and Mobile and our future endeavors.
0: And we also have an online bookstore. We're an affiliate with bookshop.org. And all throughout this month, they're going to be offering 20% off select titles by AAPI authors. Uh, So if you look on our Uh, bookshop page, we have a bunch of different lists and a lot of those books are on sale. So now is a great time to purchase those titles and 10% of those uh, 10% of your payments will go into independent bookstores all across America and another 10% will go into this podcast. So every little bit helps.
1: Um, Yeah, thanks to everyone who has supported us through our bookshop or Patreon um, or our merch. Uh, We really do appreciate uh, your support, but with that, that'll actually, before we go, um, we will be at the Festival of Asian Books at Long Beach, which is um, being hosted by Book Hanzo Books on Saturday, May 13th. So if you are in the area, please stop by and say hi. And we'll have bookmarks and stickers for um, anyone who stops by our table. So we'd love to see you there. But with that, that'll do it for this episode, Book Symbol. But thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Riri Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Booksandboba and and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to Booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at Booksandboba.com. Hey Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Raman. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes.
0: Quarantine Comics. The weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and
1: I, mild-mannered Raman Settler,
0: team up to discuss some of comics'
1: greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan
0: Moore to Uzumaki. From Maracas to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Luen Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff they could just read the books with us right
1: yes they could
0: do that but you could also just send us money no ryan that's not how
1: passion podcast projects work
0: why in the hell are we even doing this
1: uh i'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode <clears throat> so tune in each week to quarantine comics that's QTDComics.com. set phasers to fun